You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, San Francisco Pride has been canceled due to the pandemic, but organizers are moving the events online while looking to the future. What we are hoping is to really present something online that is similar, that offers entertainment opportunities, as well as opportunities to learn about what is happening in our community now, uh, what what challenges face us um, on top of and and outside of the COVID-19 pandemic. People understand the importance of not just 2020, but making sure that there's a pride to be back in physical form in 2021. I'm Mel Baker. This is Civic. This year is the 50th anniversary of San Francisco Pride Weekend, but there will be no Pink Saturday, no Dyke March, no Trans March, and no parade up Market Street because of the COVID-19 pandemic. On this edition of Civic, we want to talk a bit about the history of Pride and how organizers are moving this year's events online. I'm speaking with Carolyn Weisinger, board president of SF Pride, and Fred Lopez, executive director of Pride. Thank you both for being with us today on Civic. Let's talk a little bit about the history of it. So 50 years. So one year after Stonewall was the very first march in San Francisco. Talk a little bit about the history of that. Maybe Carolyn, would we start with you? Uh, well, so yes, it did start one year after Stonewall. So Stonewall was at the Stonewall Inn in, in New York in 1969. Um, in 70, both organizers in New York and San Francisco came together and said they wanted to actually commemorate um, what happened at Stonewall. And then over time, over years, it just kind of, as a, a lot of events like this grew with more and more folks who wanted to commemorate, who wanted to celebrate the community. Um, and then suddenly we had stages and we had reformers and we had parades. So, I mean, it really started as just a commemoration of what um, happened at the Stonewall Inn in 1969. My understanding is that in 1970, it was actually called a gay inn, I think. And it was folks that I think started over in the Polk neighborhood, if I'm not mistaken, and then ended up in a gay inn uh, in Golden Gate Park. So remember at the time, B-ins were were really popular. And so they decided to have a gay inn. And uh, as Carolyn said, over the years, yeah, I think that the commemoration sort of, uh, there were folks in the community who really were working to achieve uh, a legitimate perspective of the community and so started to have marches down the streets, which turned into parades, which turned into stages, et cetera. And so really, um, I think uh, if you look back, I think one of my favorite sets of photos at the historical archive um, are from the 1978 San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade, which is what it was called at the time. Uh, and that was uh, the year that, that the, the rainbow flag was first unfurled. Um, Harvey Milk was in the parade. It was really sort of a culmination of a lot of what we think about in terms of 70s gay liberation movements. And so really, uh, it's exciting to think about how what a new concept it was back then and really thinking about what pride is now and how it's such an integral, central part of so many people's years uh, throughout the world, really. As a young gay man in Salt Lake City, Utah, I remember my first pride event was actually in a park. And we younger activist types called it a gay hide day because it was just in a park in the early 80s. There was no parade. And now the idea of a pride parade, 
uh, larger celebration, larger visibility is true everywhere. And even in my old hometown, Salt Lake, now there's quite a huge parade. Mm -hmm. So San Francisco used to be a place that we would all go once or twice every few years to be able to be part of a bigger pride parade. And that's still true today. People come from around the world for pride, right? People come from all over. I mean, I, I hear things from folks who come from places where they have larger pride. You know, pride has become a thing where it's not just about um, where getting somewhere that maybe you aren't having pride, but you want to go somewhere else. It's really a becoming a destination thing. I had friends who were coming from New York, who were coming from Los Angeles, who were coming from Louisiana, who come from Texas, who come from London. So people come from all over the place to, to specifically come to San Francisco Pride. So let's talk about moving this into an online event. When we say online, I think a lot of us think of Zoom calls, kind of like what we're looking at now, where we get together and there's a few of us and we talk back and forth. But you can't have a Zoom call for 500,000 people or whatever. So <laughs> when you say we're going to move it online, what exactly does that mean? That is a great question. That was, that was our question. That, that was our first question. What does this all mean? Exactly. We, uh, we are figuring this out as we go along, and we know that we're not alone, right? Like, there, there are event producers for not only Pride events, but other outdoor events around the world that are being affected or canceled by the pandemic. I think the great thing about our community is the creativity that is coming to the forefront and the resilience that we continue to show in the face of challenges. We're actually sort of thinking about it from the perspective of if you were able to come to our in-person celebration at Civic Center, you would absolutely probably swing by the main stage, which is at the steps of Majestic City Hall, right? And so on the main stage, we have greetings from the mayor would come by. And sometime, last year we had Kamala Harris who came to the main stage. We have uh, entertainment like uh, Pablo Vitar, which is a famous Brazilian drag queen and songwriter who her performed on our stage last year, um, to you know groups like Open House talking about the importance of centering queer elders in our community. What we are hoping is to really present something online that is similar, that offers entertainment op opportunities, uh, drag performances, music, both live and pre-recorded, as well as opportunities to learn about what is happening in our community now, uh, what what challenges face us um, on top of and, and outside of the COVID-19 pandemic, and really taking a, uh, more than a few moments to appreciate the accomplishments that we've made as a community and to celebrate, uh, to honor the, the work of community grand marshals and awardees that the that the board and San Francisco Pride have worked hard to make sure that they're being acknowledged this year. It's coming together. You know, I'm in constant meetings with our production team to come up with new ways to bring engaging content to our communities. But yeah, I think that's all, it's all unfolding as we speak. So it's, uh, it's an exciting project. If Pride is about bringing everybody together in the community, Carolyn, what are you worried about can be lost from not having this year's event? Are you concerned that this is going to not be the kind of connectedness, community bind, bonding thing that happens? Or do you think you can kind of create something that will still hope bring people together and keep them organized for the coming year? Well, the first answer to that is yes, of course, we definitely hope that we can create something that, that people will still be able to hold for the year. And I've, I've told the board a number of times, as a person who's in the digital space all the time myself, I really and truly see 
retro pride is something that's going to carry on with us even when we're back together physically. So I think that we are actually seeing the transformation and reformation of pride. I mean, it's 2020. Everything else in the world is, is being reshaped. Pride is no different, right? But I think that one of the challenges and the things that we're going to face, the thing that I fear the most is, number one, folks like our seniors who are, you know, a lot of them are isolated. A lot of them, they're not like us who go to clubs and go to bars and go to events and and see queer community all the time. I learned a long time ago going to an event with the NIA Collective, which is a Black um, same gender loving women retreat. I learned a long time ago that the elders really look forward to things like pride because it's the only time in a year that they are actually in community with other LGBT folks. So I do worry about our LGBT seniors who are not going to have that physical connection of going to pride and also who are facing the digital divide. I mean, you know, we're talking about streaming partners where we may stream pride, but some of them I'll be very honest. I'm in community with elders all the time who struggle with their phones. So for me, my that's my biggest concern is the folks who don't have access to digital. And that's something that over, I mean, we, we probably won't figure it out this year, but as time goes on, that'll be, we're going to face a whole bunch of things that next year we'll be able to do better at. And so hopefully next year we'll be able to better um, assist folks with that digital divide. But those are my two concerns are the digital divide and our, our seniors. That seems to be a really serious concern. Uh, we've been doing reporting about the census, and a lot of our reporting was about the digital divide in the census. And this has made it even worse because you literally can't get census counts and things. So that, especially if you're older and you're technically not savvy or you've learned various iterations of technology, but not the very latest cutting edge stuff, it can be very daunting. The good thing is, though, we do still have our, our partnership with our television partners. So even if they can't dance with us all day on a streaming platform, which they probably weren't going to do anyway, <laughs> they will still be able to join us via our partnership with um, CBS, who's going to be doing programming as well. So, Fred, what is Modern Pride for? Pride was a event, a political event, an event to organize an event to show force, to show political power. Look how many of us there are and we're willing to be on the streets and we're willing to be here in public and and you better take us seriously. So every politician in the Bay Area would show up at Pride. Pride seems to be more and more increasingly a party, which is great. But do you think we are losing anything from not having as much focus on the politics and the need to uh, unite the community? I think it is still very much all of those things. I think that absolutely it's a show of force and absolutely still we have politicians. Like I said a little earlier, Kamala Harris was in our parade and came to our main stage last year. We had the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, in San Francisco Pride Parade um, last year, which you know was the highest ranking politician that we have had in the Pride Parade so far. Um, I think that absolutely Pride, you know, It's easy to characterize Pride as a big party, but it's also, uh, you know, I think all of those those political moments still happen. And it's just gotten big enough that there are plenty of parties that happen concurrently with allowing folks to have the platform to to share their voices and to to make sure that folks know that there's still plenty of work to be done. Because as Carolyn kind of mentioned, I think that Pride is that time of year when folks who might not otherwise tap into the LGBTQ community and sort of the political mo- the political momentum of the communities 
um, that that's when they sort of learn what's happening, right? And so things like our magazine and our, our publications, uh, those are important because they have they give San Francisco Pride an opportunity to really showcase, you know, what's happening in the world and and what's left to do. Yes, absolutely. You know, being a big party is also great. Finding that balance of the political as well as the celebratory part, I think, you know, will always be something that we keep an eye on as Pride organizers. I'm speaking with Carolyn Weisinger, board president of SF Pride, and Fred Lopez, executive director of Pride. I'm Mel Baker. You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. KSFP and the San Francisco Public Press are supported by listeners like you. Learn more about our membership program and join the public press at sfpublicpress.org slash donate. You can make a donation online or send a check to the San Francisco Public Press, 44 Page Street, Suite 504, San Francisco, California, 94102. Thank you, and thanks to the hundreds of other public press members who have made our work possible for 10 years. Now back to our discussion with Carolyn Weisinger, board president of SF Pride, and Fred Lopez, executive director of Pride. So, Carolyn, let's talk about some of the individual events and how things are being reorganized. So, just off the top of my head, you have the Dyke March, you have the Trans March, you have uh, the Main Pride March, we have the uh, Pink Triangle on Twin Peaks above the Castro. How are those being folded into being virtual events, if at all? Well, that, I can answer that. I know Fred can answer it better, but I will. I will start. I will start the well, which, answering. Whichever, whichever one of you. I like will to start the answer. I will give it. you an answer, and then Fred will fill in because that's what <laughs> that's what Fred does. So, I mean, the way that we're we're folding those in, we we're very fortunate that even though we all these events, I mean, there's a perception that everything that happens Pride weekend is produced by Pride, and the truth is, very little of it is. We produce the literal space of San Francisco Pride. But we do have relationships, very good relationships with a lot of the events that do go on throughout the weekend. And um, so we we do actually have the organizers of Trans March who have, we've been communicating um, since they made their decision to cancel their in-person event. And I know that they will be streaming as well. And you may be able to find them on our streaming platform. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but yes. <laughs> so we will be having that partnership with Trans March. Um, I know that Dyke March is also going virtually. I'm not certain at the, at the, the time of this airing interview where that will be located, but I know that they will be going streaming as well. And I mean, we do all talk a, a, a lot just about how in this particular space was something that's new to all of us. We've been talking about how we can support each and every one of us and really to make sure that folks are are able to kind of still stay in their homes and still celebrate. So it's a conversation. I'm glad that we have those relationships, that Fred has those relationships, that he um, is able to have those every day so we can kind of plan those around each other. Take it away, Fred. Uh, yeah, Carolyn's right. I mean, we're really excited that Transmarch announced that they are doing some online programming and that will be as as tradition on Friday of Pride Weekend. So this this year it's on Friday, June 26th. Um, we have heard uh, Dyke March also canceled their in-person uh, event. And so they're looking at what the next steps are. Um, and you brought up a really exciting project that's new to this year 
Um, the pink triangle, as you mentioned, that gets installed on Twin Peaks high above the city and visible to everybody who's going down Market Street for Pride Weekend. Um, th- this year is the pink triangle's 25th anniversary. And uh, Patrick Carney is a long, a long-standing volunteer who really it's created, founded this event. Uh, I'm sorry, the Pink Triangle, and really organizes volunteers, hundreds of volunteers every year to fill in the the pink tarps that are visible for miles. Um, and given the sort of interesting and new challenges of 2020, the Pink Triangle is working with a Bay Area-based company named Illuminate to do just that, to illuminate the pink triangle. And so they are looking at installing, I think it's 2,700 LED lights in the pink triangle outline that will then illuminate at night. So that way folks from even farther will be able to see the pink triangle and acknowledge you know, the importance of that symbol to our community, both historically and moving forward. So it's an exciting project. And um, I think they are, they are actually doing a, a crowdfunding project for that right now. Um, but, um, but San Francisco Pride has long been a partner of, of Pink Triangle, and we're excited to see that happen. Just a quick aside, the Pink Triangle became an early symbol of the LGBT movement. It was the symbol the Nazis forced gay men, bisexual men, and transgender people to wear in the concentration camps, where at least a quarter million wearing that badge were murdered. Early activists reclaimed the symbol to empower the community, much the way the term queer has been reclaimed by modern activists to represent the broader communities of orientation and gender difference. Now back to our interview. Carolyn mentioned earlier, you know, San Francisco Pride is is glad to be uh, collaborating with KPIX on a three-hour special that's going to air on Sunday, and it'll be sort of a parade retrospective since, you know, we're not able to all gather as a, a in person on Market Street. So really looking at how the parade has changed over the years, thinking about hearing from elected officials and, and LGBTQ plus luminaries from throughout the years on their favorite memories of the parade. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, I think, you know, we've learned over the past couple of weeks how Pride Weekend is shaping up when it comes to finding ways to engage with the community. You know, one thing that I haven't mentioned is our uh, is our partners over at uh, Frameline have announced a shorter, like a, a sort of a condensed online film festival experience over Pride Weekend. So, I mean, Carolyn really touched on this earlier that we're all in the same boat, really, kind of coming up with new and exciting ways and, and pivoting our entire operations in some in some cases uh, on a dime, really, uh, in response to this, this craziness that we're all facing. And what's important is that we obviously acknowledge the hard work of the many people, the activists and, and volunteers who are out there working hard right now to raise funds and, and to really bring direct services to those who are most uh, affected by the COVID-19 crisis. And I think that, you know, San Francisco Pride, hopefully when we get through this cycle after everything is said and done, we can look at our finances and hopefully we'll be able to donate um, back to the community as we have in the past. Right now, I think, you know, there are folks who are really raising awareness about what's happening in the world. There are those who are busy raising funds for to, to make sure that services continue happening. And then I think for us, I think San Francisco Pride really falls squarely in raising spirits, right? Offering an opportunity for folks to, to come together around a central, uh, around something to celebrate, right? And and more than anything, I think we need that at this moment. So so we're happy to fulfill that, that part of our mission this year. Well, and maybe we could talk a little bit about finances because Pride is a very expensive event to put on. You have to supplement uh, just from porta potties to 
to the infrastructure setup, to the costs of uh, helping pay for extra policing and security, organizing hundreds of volunteers over the course of events, coordinating with all of these other groups, putting on their, their separate events. That must have been a staggering thing to have to like literally put the brakes on at the last second. It must be doing uh, heck with your finances. And again, Pride does raise money, contributes significant amount of money to nonprofits in the community that really need the resources. So talk a little bit about how what a blow that has been to Pride. You hit it on the nose. I mean, Carolyn can talk a little bit about this, but yeah, a lot of- No, you go first, Fred. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I mean, it's it's definitely been a learning curve. A lot of our revenue absolutely disappeared overnight. Um, You know, everything from the donations that we are so grateful to get at the gates of our in-person celebration um, that folks, you know, drop one dollar, five dollar, ten dollars into the buckets um, to the to the profits from the beverage sales of, of our official beverage booths at the celebration. Um, I, one thing it's important to note is that um, it's been an interesting road for us with our sponsors, right? Like sponsors have really um, formed a lot of the backbone of the budget for an for an event like ours over the past decade or two, and um, the sponsors have been really uh, helpful. Right. And, and really want to be a part of this event, understand the centrality of this event to our communities um, and really have been patient with us as we figured out what the next steps are and how how do we make this work. That answer changes every day exactly how our how our finances are going to look. It, it's a challenging year, not only for a nonprofit like San Francisco Pride, but for plenty of nonprofits in, in San Francisco and, and around the world, obviously, you know, we're doing our best, you know, and I think that we'll be, we are, thankfully, we, we came into 2020 with um, some reserve funds uh, in as a cushion, and uh, that's making what we're doing now a lot easier to do, uh, given that. Carolyn, earlier you mentioned uh, queer elders kind of being isolated and, and such. It seems to be that the community in the last few years has been kind of finally reckoning with that. Uh, those of us who are older, the uh, the age generation and the people uh, from that era, seems to be more effort and more attention being directed in that direction. And you said that was one of your big concerns. What are some of your other thoughts on that and what can be done? Some of my other thoughts on that, I mean, I think the reason that there's a lot more attention to it now, I I was in a workshop not too long ago with Equality California, and they talked about how we are entering the first full true, I mean, we've always had elders, but this is the first full true out generation of elders. Um, and I think that because we are we now have a full generation of elders to still support and take care of, we're seeing now the places that we do need to take care of them, whether it's provi- providing more housing for them, especially for our trans elders, whether it's providing more some social support, whether it's providing more fiscal support, whether it's just providing social spaces, you know, places like open house are so integral to the, the sustainability of our LGBT elder community. So, I, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad that I know I'm not the only person on the board who concerns themselves with our elder community. And I think it's a good thing that we are, along with our youth, we're thinking about 
thinking in forward thinking ways about how we need to support those um, communities. And I think it's just another one of those things when you talk about the issue of intersectionality with anything, you always have to have an intersectional lens. And, you know, that's something me and Fred deal with all day is, okay, usually we do A, B, C, D at the parade to support this community and that community and that community and that community. How do we now take that thing that we used to do to support that particular community over there and still do that? So when you talk about even um, raising money, we've been trying to think with our, our budget completely changing the way that it does with our revenue the way our revenue looks completely changing. How can we still make sure? I mean, there are organizations who get out at San Francisco Pride and make their whole year budget by working in our beverage booth, and now that's gone. So what do what can we do to still support those communities? And we're still working that out. We are, we are, I'm not going to say here on this broadcast that we have the answer that we do not, but we always try to make sure to remind the community that we are thinking of it and trying to figure it out at the same time. You know, they're trying to figure it out. That's. That's exciting to hear, too. And I assume corporate sponsors are still helping, as they always do. The, uh, the ones that can, I mean, you think about Pride a lot of, I mean, no one ever truly looks at the full sponsor list, or maybe some people do. But <laughs> a lot of our sponsors are in, in, in corporate sectors that have been completely blown up. So, you know, we are excited about the ones who say we still have this money. Some people who still who say we don't necessarily have it, but we understand that pride is important and we still want to give what we have. We do have a lot of sponsors that are like that as well. People understand the importance of not just 2020, but making sure that there's a pride to be back in physical form in 2021. How much in the way of resources do you have to set aside for that? Do you have a certain, you don't have to give the number, obviously, but just a certain amount that you know has to be left in the fund so that you can kick start the next the next cycle of this? Because this is a 365 day a year thing. This is not you start Pride up two months before. You're pretty much in the <laughs> What do you mean? It springs up out of the ground on that Friday. What are you talking about? <laughs> It's it's true. I mean, you really hit it on on the head there. I think you know people. We have a, a dedicated team of, of not only staff members but the board members are volunteers, and we have uh, contractors, an extended contractor family, who work uh, pretty much year round to to bring this event to to life. Um, yeah, I, I think at this point, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we do have some some reserve uh, cash that we are able to use as a kickstart for uh, to start begin to start planning for 2021. Um, and once again, you know, we absolutely appreciate the support of of our sponsors who are making it easier to get through this year. And I also want to mention that you know, with our sponsors, you know, it's it's definitely a relationship. It's something that I've learned. You know, this is my first year as executive director, uh, and that you know. It's really seeing sponsorships more as as a partnership rather than just sort of a transactional situation, right? That that you know I've learned a lot about that in the last couple of months because you know there is a transaction obviously, but there's also like there's a deep amount of concern and care that that I've heard from from certain sponsors about about the organization and about the bottom line, really, like you know making sure that the folks who are on the staff are able to continue and that, you know, we're not having to furlough or lay anybody off at this point. And so we're working as hard as we can to continue that, to really maintain the the core of our structure. So that way, as Carolyn said, we can go into 2021 even better than we have before. Uh, that's, that's really the goal because, you know, Suzanne Ford, who is our board treasurer, has said this a couple times, and I think it really resonates that, you know, because we are unable to get together this year, it really makes 
next year or when we are able to gather that much more special that we are going to uh, appreciate it and savor it in a way that I think hasn't happened for a long time. So we really want to be a part of that and really want to make sure that we offer, as I said before, engaging opportunities for folks to really join together in celebration and demonstration. And, you know, 51 is the new 50 nowadays. Yes. <laughs> That's what I try to tell myself. So, Carolyn, <laughs> so Carolyn uh, any last thoughts? Any last thoughts? Every time I get asked this question in any show, I have I have no last thoughts just yet. Just to remind folks that there there will be pride. There will always be pride. And, you know, we're doing our best to not just put on a celebration, but to what I like to say, remind folks of the hope. I said it our it's so funny before the, the pandemic even happened. We had our press conference at the mayor's office or the, or the mayor's balcony, rather. And, you know, Fred kind of mentioned you know, Harvey Milk's legendary saying, you know, you have to give, you know, you got to give them hope. And I told, I said that, you know, I grew up in church and I grew up with Bishop Cross and Pearson, who talks all the time about reminding folks of hope. And I feel like that's, that's our job this year, especially even more now in the pandemic, you know, Harvey Milk gave us hope, but this year we have to remind folks that there is still hope. So there's still hope and there will still be a San Francisco pride. Thank you both. I've been speaking with Carolyn Weisinger, board president of San Francisco Pride, and Fred Lopez, executive director of Pride. Civic is a production of the San Francisco Public Press, a nonprofit investigative news organization, sfpublicpress.org. Host and reporter, Laura Wenness. Producer and contributor, Mel Baker. Thanks for listening.